What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Donks, the weekly NBA show over here at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. Today, I'll be taking a look at three different NBA players whose card markets I think are primed to rise as their teams trend back towards the NBA playoffs. We're talking both this season and next season, so both short-term and long-term, and let's jump right into it. This is one of those stories that I wanted to cover in last week's video. That is before I started digging deeper into the various charts that I ended up covering and then saw the correlation between the high-end cards and the modern cards. If you didn't watch that video, I'd recommend you pausing right now to go back and watch if you do have some time. Stephen Curry's Topps rookie cards have generally dropped right along with the 2008 Kobe Topps Chrome, 1986 Fleer Jordan, 2003 Topps and Topps Chrome LeBrons, among other high-end basketball cards. Meanwhile, prospecting in modern cards have been on the rise, not as a rule across the board, but we've seen a return to the on-court product directly influencing the prices of those types of cards, which I think is a very good thing overall. Now, the disconnect is seen in Stephen Curry's card market. And while he exists more in that goat high-end side of things, he's also been absolutely killing it on the hardwood, and you just don't see it in his card market prices. Here's his updated 2009 PSA 10 rookie card chart one week later. It's taken another slight dip, settling just under $10,000 for the first time since the beginning of January. And that's at the end of a month that saw him averaging 37 points, 6 rebounds, and 4.6 assists per game. During the month of April, he also averaged just shy of 14 three-point attempts per game, and he shot nearly 47% on those three-point attempts. Four different games, he hit 10 threes or more. At the age of 33, he's been on an unconscious streak that he's matched only a few other times in his career. And yet the prices still just continue to drop, as you can see from the chart. Now, I don't think that this trend is going to continue forever. For one thing, these types of market trends tend to reverse themselves once people start thinking that the player is cheap again. And for another thing, I see a few catalysts in his card market moving forward. First of all, it's, it seems like the public sentiment on this NBA season has been that it's been you know, relatively boring. Uh, we've seen NBA TV ratings down across the board. The best cure for that is a return to the NBA playoffs when the NBA enjoys high viewership ratings once more. Now, the playoffs come during the doldrums of the baseball season, which often just drives up the fervor around basketball all the more. And this season, the NBA is tinkering with a play-in tournament in which the 7th and 8th seeds will play one another. The winner of that matchup gets the 7th seed in the playoffs. The ninth and 10th seeds will then play each other, and the winner of that matchup plays the 8th seed with the winner of that matchup getting the actual 8th seed in the playoffs. Now, if we have a play-in tournament during or featuring this current form of Stephen Curry, you have to believe that he's not just going to roll over and die at those pivotal moments. I expect him to really turn it on in those two win or go home matchups, which could be a catalyst for the general public remembering that Stephen Curry is Stephen Curry, one of the best we've ever seen. And if that doesn't work out the way that I think it could and his prices continue to drop a bit heading into the summer, well, next season, we're going to see the return of Klay Thompson. The Warriors figure to be back in the playoff race and the national conversation once more, which I think will be another potential catalyst to ignite Curry's basketball card market. 
So in other words, I don't think this dip is going to last forever. He's one of the more popular players in the league. And once the team starts trending back toward relevance, things should start to turn around in his card market as well. Next up, Julius Randle. He's really good now. And hand up, I've been super slow to acknowledge that. Uh, me and probably pretty much everyone else in the NBA community outside of Knicks fans. But he's been really good this year. Probably going to win most improved player in a season in which uh, is his seventh in the league and his age 26 season. Now, part of the reason that that is just extremely surprising and hard to get behind in general is that players just don't change their stock this much in the middle of their seventh season. You know, consider who was selected in the top 10 together with him. We had Andrew Wiggins going first overall, very disappointing on an extremely bad contract, generally just been a bust. Uh, we had Jabari Parker taken second by my Bucks, tore his ACL twice, clearly a bust. And I bet you didn't even know it, but he's currently employed by the Boston Celtics. Joel Embiid, he went third overall. This is his first season as a legit contender for the MVP, but he's also been to the All-Star Game four different times. He's also received MVP votes in two previous seasons. He's been the best player in this draft along the way, so he's still improving, but he's already been very good. He didn't take quite the leap that we've seen from Julius Randle. Aaron Gordon, he went fourth overall. He's experiencing a renaissance with the Nuggets currently, but we all pretty much know what he is by this point. Good player, especially in the right system. Dante Exum, never really got it together. Marcus Smart, really good at the things that he's really good at. Gritty lifeblood of the Celtics, not much more than that, and he's not going to become much more than that. Uh, Nick Stauskas, out of the league. Noah Vonla, currently unemployed, did make four brief appearances with the Nets this season. Then we had Alfred Payton. He rounds out the top 10, very replacement-level point guard on his third team already. So we're clearly well past the point of expecting any major developments for any of these players' careers or even really caring about most of them. And that was the general career trajectory of Julius Randle up till this point as well. I want to review going through his career. First, he went from being the best player on an extremely disappointing Kentucky team to being seventh overall pick by the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, then in his NBA debut, he broke his leg, postponing his rookie year to the next season. But after two full seasons of actual games, so technically his second and his third year, he was pretty well regarded and he figured to be a long-term piece in Los Angeles. But things changed pretty quickly in the NBA, and by his fourth year in the league, the Lakers had drafted Kyle Kuzma, and he was impressing quite a bit in his rookie year, and there were calls for Kuzma or Larry Nance to be starting ahead of Julius Randle. Well, then Randle began messaging that he did not intend to return to the Lakers in free agency as it was clear that they wanted to go in a different direction. The Lakers agreed. They never even offered him a contract, and the Pelicans signed him to a relatively small contract, only the 22nd largest free agent signing of that offseason, a two-year deal for $8 million the first year and $9 million the second year on a player option, a very underwhelming contract for a former seventh overall pick's first foray into free agency, but it reflected his perceived value around the league at the time. And in his lone season with the Pelicans, a season in which the Anthony Davis trade demands overshadowed pretty much everything else on the court, Randall had his best season to date. 21 points, nine rebounds, and three assists. But the Pelicans also won the number one overall pick, which would end up being Zion Williamson, which led to Julius Randle opting out of his player option in order to test free agency once more, this time as a fully unrestricted free agent. The Knicks went into that offseason with plans to woo Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, both of whom ultimately decided to head to the crosstown rival Brooklyn Nets, making the Nets the focus in the Big Apple. 
And so the Knicks pivoted by signing a glut of power forwards and centers to shorter term contracts, likely with the hopes of spinning some of them off in trades. And the most prominent of those signings was Julius Randle. He signed a three-year, $63 million deal. And then the Knicks were a dumpster fire from the very start. Dave Fisdell was fired after 22 games. About two months later, Steve Mills was fired as team president. And then they brought in super agent Leon Rose to try to right the ship. Then James Dolan continued to bring only embarrassment to the Knicks organization. He was feuding with the most prominent Knicks fan, Spike Lee, over what entrance he could use. And then the Knicks limped the rest of the way to a 21-45 and 45 record, finishing 12th in the East, and were not invited to the NBA bubble. Well, then the Knicks hired Tom Thibodeau as their head coach, uh, tried to bring some hard-nosed basketball back to Madison Square Garden. And then the Knicks drafted Obi Toppin, presumably eventually to take over for Julius Randle as a focal point in New York. So by this point, Julius Randle pretty much is what he is, a focal point on a bad and embarrassing Knicks team who can average nearly 20 points and 10 rebounds per game, but whose teams through his first six seasons sported a record of only 153 wins and 323 losses, good for only a 32% winning percentage. It appears by this point that Julius Randle's long-term future might not be with the Knicks, and he's really kind of shaping up to be a good stopgap journeyman power forward who would likely sign two-year deals every other year until he's in his mid-30s, at which point he would just retire. So you could forgive anyone who did not see this season coming. And all that's happened since is that Julius Randle has just gone and become the king of New York. The Knicks currently are the fourth-place team in the Eastern Conference, they're owners of a 36-28 and 28 record, an incredible eight games over 500, incredible compared to the preseason expectations, that is. And they're one of the hottest teams in basketball, going 9-1 and one over their last 10 games. And they're doing it largely on the back of some much-improved play from their team leader, Julius Randle. This season has been his best by far. 24.2 points per game, 10.3 rebounds, just a hair under six assists per night. That all to go along with 5.4 three-point attempts while converting at a 42% rate, all while support, sporting a very high 28.9% usage. The Knicks are putting the ball in Julius Randle's hands. He's often leading the offense at the point of attack and initiating the offense not only has him scoring at new levels, it also has him facilitating like never before. He's often being put in that role of point forward like many of the other premier big men around the league, and he's rewarding the Knicks for it. He's also turned his outside shot into a legitimate weapon. Now, when you watch him shoot, he looks all of his six foot nine inches when he's shooting from downtown. Not the most aesthetically pleasing shot by far, but he's still converting on a volume and at a rate which indicates it's not a fluke. Just really, really, really impressive improved play from the from the likely most improved player in the league. And then over the past 10 games, that 10 game hot streak, he's been even better. 31.3 points, 8.4 rebounds, 5.3 assists per game. During that team time, he's also attempting 7.6 threes per night, hitting 50% of those. And he's eating up a third of all Knicks possessions with a 33.2% usage. So he's getting the ball and the Knicks have just been better for it. Just cannot be ignored any longer. And here's the chart, not exactly the most exciting thing. And there have only been three auctions on Julius Randle PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie Cards ever. The first was last July, ending at $62.75. And then there have been two over the past half month or so. The first ending at $420 and then the next at $560. So pretty exciting graphic right there, clearly. 
there have been two, just two auctions on his select premier level silver PSA 10 rookie card, both coming in the last 35 days. The first ended at $157.50 on March 31st. The last one ended just the other day on April 30th at $224.50. So that wouldn't be an exciting chart either, just a diagonal line. So again, just not a whole ton of action for me to make a nice chart out of. But that doesn't say as much about Randall's demand as much as it does his PSA pop reports. You know, since he spent quite a few years just being a, you know, a fine NBA player, there are only 16 PSA 10s on his Prism Silver rookie card market. Only 38 PSA 10s of his base Prism rookie card. He has just seven select courtside PSA 10s in circulation and only 12 select concourse base PSA 10s available. Wherever you look, slabs of Julius Randle are very rare. Now, taking all that into consideration together with the Knicks' imminent return to the NBA playoffs, it sure seems like Randle's cards should be popping come playoff time, which I guess will only help a few people, really. But this NBA season has struggled with fan interaction and fan buy-in, and I do expect that to change come playoff time. And I strongly believe that Knicks' support will be really through the roof come playoff time. You know, they're currently slated to be facing the Hawks in the first round, and the Knicks are 3-0 and against the Hawks this season. In those wins, Julius Randle has scored 28, 44, and 40 points. If the Knicks return to the playoff limelight and face the Hawks, based on their matchups this year, you have to imagine that the Knicks could pull off the first-round playoff victory, and Julius Randle should be really shining prominently in those wins based on prior history, which will put the bright spotlights of Manhattan squarely on his shoulders. I don't know how many seasons this will last, but in the short term, I see big things coming for Julius Randle. And hey, you could go on eBay at this moment and buy a raw select courtside rookie of his for under 80 bucks. So there's cards available, and I think you can capitalize on the New York media market in a big way in the short term. Plus, without a ton of cards in circulation, there's just not going to be a big postseason sell-off to drive his prices down all that much, in my opinion. So just some food for thought. I think Julius Randle presents an interesting opportunity for us. Next up, OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. He's really been taking off of late. You know, if we look back over his career, he's generally improved right along the way every single season. First up, his age 20 season, his rookie year, 5.9 points, 2.5 rebounds, under an assist, shot 63% from the free throw line and 37% from three on 2.73 point attempts per game. Nothing really super spectacular there. The next year, we saw general improvement in some areas and also uh, some, uh, you know, he's got a little worse in some other areas, but seven points, 2.9 rebounds, that's better. 0.7 assists, that's the same. He got worse from the charity stripe, 58%. Not a whole ton of attempts, but still worse. 33% from three, which was worse on three three-point three attempts per game. The next season, he took a bit of a leap. Age 22 season last year, 10.6 points per game, 5.3 rebounds, 1.6 assists, shot 70.6% from free throw line, 39% uh, from downtown on 3.3 three-point attempts per game. So that was an improvement right across the board. And he continued all of those improvements this year. His age 23 season, 15.9 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2.2 assists. He's shooting nearly 80% from the charity strike, 78.4%. And he's shooting nearly 40% from three, 39.8%. 
and that's coming on 6.13 point attempts per game. So he's shooting his threes at a, a uh, extreme rate compared to where he's ever shot before, and he's doing it extremely efficiently. Now, OG Ananobi, over the last, oh, if we look at just this season, his usage rate, it has increased month over month right along the way. In December, he had a low usage rate, 14.1%. January, it upped a couple, 17.2%. February, 18.7%. March, 22.1%. In this past month, 23.2% usage during the month of April. So he's really just been improving and getting, and getting the ball much more as the season has gone on. And the last seven games, he's been having the best stretch of his career. Over his last seven games, he's had a usage percentage of 24.6%. So just about a quarter of all Raptors possessions have ended with him shooting the ball or turning over the ball, but him shooting the ball. Uh, 22.4 points per game during that stretch, 3.1 assists, and he's shooting 44% on his threes during that time on 7.7 three-point attempts per game. Now, OG Ananobi has always been an extremely gifted defender, and that hasn't changed at all this season. He has a pretty decent chance at being in an all-NBA defensive team. But to go along with that tough-nosed defense, he's been improving right along on the offensive side. And while this season has seen him scoring at a career best both in totals and in efficiency, it's been the recent improvements in individual creation that really create room for optimism. You know, while his usage rate has increased, he's also been taking many more opportunities to drive and to create his own open shot, which we've just never really seen from him. You know, this is the type of improvement that can take a guy from simply being a three and D player to an actual legitimate two-way player. And that would be very good for the Toronto Raptors. And I know Raptors fans are extremely optimistic about OG Ananobi, and I am as well. Charting his 2017 Prism Silver PSA 10 rookie card, there are only 210 available, so pretty rare by today's standards. Uh, it saw a general increase over the first few months of the season, topping out at $282 on auction. And once it became clear that the Raptors were just not going to put it together this year, his cards dropped, settling in at the $160 range over the past few months. Now, that being said, OG Ananobi has really started to put the pieces of his game together, and his ceiling as a player has only been rising over the past several months. Now, I don't think that the Raptors' current status as the 11th seed in the East is a preview of things to come. They've been playing all of their home games this season in Tampa, Florida, meaning they're the only team in the league that has an added stress of never going home in addition to the compressed schedule along with the additional COVID-19 protocols. They are in a league of their own with all of these different uh, things going on for them. But I imagine, I hope, well, I imagine that they'll be playing again next season in Toronto in front of their own fans, and they should start to look more like the Raptors that we've come to know over the past several years. So, assuming that they return to relevancy next year, if OG Ananobi's current improvements continue, there could be big things in his card market starting next season. So, certainly a name to watch as prices dip in the offseason. So, last year we saw... Once the playoffs hit, we saw quite a bit of prices dip right across the board. I'm not sure if it's going to happen exactly like that again. I do expect with the playoffs hitting during the summer, the doldrums, the heat of summer, we might actually see some players' card markets continue to rise. I think at least one of them is going to be Julius Randle. Looking ahead to next year, I think we see a couple other teams start returning to playoff prominence and their card markets might start rising as well. So as always, just try and keep your ear to the ground, look ahead, try and figure out what's going to happen in the future. 
and where the hype is, you know the card market's going to follow. Uh, so Julius Randall, Stephen Curry, OG Ananobi, I think all three of them, they're primed to rise, some in the short term, some in the long term. But as always, I hope that it benefits you. So thank you again so much for watching. I really appreciate you taking out the time, and we'll see you next week.